0: I invite you now to please take God's word and follow along as I read our scripture reading this morning, which is Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So as, as most of you probably uh, know ad nauseum, uh, I went to Texas a and I am an Aggie. Uh, and there's nothing I can do about it, even if I wanted to change that, right? Um, And thus, that makes me a fan of of Texas A&M football. Um, And and it's it's interesting that we moved to Illinois, uh, because I used to tell people, like, A&M football is kind of like being a Chicago Cubs fan. Um, It's painful. It is absolutely the most torturous thing. Uh, No one would choose this. I just anyway so uh, we have three self-proclaimed national championships um, this is obviously back before anyway our last one was 1939 and nobody's counting but it's been a while um, so but I have to tell you one of the one of the best seasons that Texas A&M had uh, was in 1998 1998 uh, we beat the the then number one team in the country that was Nebraska. Uh, we beat them at home, and and I was in the stands for that game, and I'm, I'm telling you, I can remember plays, I can remember that game like it was yesterday. Great, great season, and then we anyway, lost to that orange team that we don't talk about, and then, so the season was kind of ruined, but uh, we, we still had won the Big 12 South. We were, we were in the Big 12 at that point. So there was the Big 12 championship game. And so we were kind of not playing great going into that game. And we were playing the, the now new number one team in the country, which was Kansas State. And if you really like college football, you probably remember that 98 Kansas State team with Michael Bishop. And they were, they were unstoppable. Um, and, and so everyone knew that we were going to get killed, like just knew we were going to get creamed. But my roommates were like, hey, we should go to the game. Uh, We should go to the the Big 12 championship game. Uh, It was in St. Louis. And St. Louis is about a 13 hour drive from College Station. Um, And uh, it was gonna be one of those typical college road trips, right, where everybody had like $8 that we were gonna spend on Taco Bell, right? If you did the dollar menu, like we could get there and back on $8 of food. If everybody chips in, you know, 10 bucks of gas, whatever. Uh, we, could, we could pull this off, we would sleep in the car, you know, we had the whole plan figured out, right? There's like five guys. Well, so anyway, I wasn't the most like responsible student, I'll just admit, and remembered that I had a really huge paper due on Monday, and so it was like, okay, we got to leave like, you know, Friday morning at 3 a.m. to get there in time, and yada, 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 all the stuff, and so I'm like, guys, I'm out, I can't go, and I mean, just, but I kind of was thinking we're just going to get crushed, and it doesn't really matter, but I really was bummed that I didn't get to go on this trip. So I was out, and like five other guys ended up going in, you know, one car, and so game starts. I'm watching on TV from home, just kind of bummed out. My roommates are there. This is before texting and all that stuff, so I don't know. They're not like sending me pictures, which would be terrible, but, but I know they're there, and, and uh, the game starts kind of how I thought it was going to go. Our starting quarterback gets injured on like the second play of the game, and so then our our uh, backup quarterback comes in. He gets injured um, and we literally have our punter at quarterback. <laughs> like, punter is taking the snaps. I mean, it was just, we're going to get beat 70 to nothing. I mean, it was just that bad. And we get down pretty early, but finally the backup quarterback comes in and he's kind of hobbling around the whole game, but he's, he's able to, our defense keeps us in the, in the game and Um, I could talk way too long about this I gotta go faster and so anyway long story short our our defense forces a fumble with a minute and a half left in the game and we're down eight we're down eight points Our offense had been terrible the whole game, but it's like, okay, Lord, please, we can get there. And we happen to score a touchdown. I mean, this kind of miraculous thing. Now we're down by two with like, I mean, there's like 15 seconds left in the game. So it's either, you know, do or die. And we get the two-point conversion. Incredible play. We're tied. I'm losing my mind, right? We go into overtime and still thinking we're going to lose, but I'm excited that at least we're in the game. And uh, we trade field goals the first overtime. We're in the second overtime they have to go first, and they kick a field goal. And they have, do you remember Martin Gramatica? They called him Automatica. Do you guys remember that guy? Some of you guys remember. Yeah, that's, that was their kicker. We had a terrible kicker. Theirs was great. So we were like, okay, we're in trouble, but we, we, take, we take negative yardage, right? And uh, twice, first down, second down, negative yardage. We are now out of our field goal kicker's range. It is third and 17 and from like the 30-something, I can't kick it that far. We're about to lose. I'm screaming my head off. Play the video. Slot to the left. No, no tied in. Shea Holder is exposed here on this right side. but a man in motion. Now they snap it. Going to throw here to Parker. At the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5, he is almost... He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got it in. He got it in. He got it in. Oh, doctor! (laughs) Oh my goodness! They are mobbing him. It is Bedlam here. (laughs) Sir Parker took it's the 32 yard pass. The Aggies have won the Big 12 Championship in overtime against KSU. Right? Right? You guys are Aggie fans already! I'm already, it's already, my plan is working. You guys will be cheering for us real soon. I can feel it. Like, that gets me fired up. Even today I get fired up. And, and even if you don't like football, that's, a, that's pretty exciting stuff right there, right? So, now, today for the rest of my life, I will remember that play. I'll remember that guy screaming. Um, I will also never forget that I wasn't there um, what my friends never cease to remind me of. Remember that game you didn't come to? You should have been there. Um, but I like to think I was with my friends in spirit. We were such good friends. They went. We were in spirit, right? I, I I like to think that I experienced that game with them, and sometimes we say things like, you know, I'm, I, I live that moment vicariously through, you know, through them or whatever. You know, so when, even when I'm sad to this day, sometimes I'll just get on YouTube and play that clip just for a pickup. Just, I'm having a bad day. Ah, I can't have a bad day anymore. I'm feeling good. And I think about my friends who actually were in the end zone. They, like, it happened right in front of them. That play did. Uh, and, and, I, and I just smile a little bit, because I lived through their joyous experience, too. Is, is it possible to live through someone else's life, right? Maybe you feel that way as a parent, or a grandparent, right? You feel connected to the events that they're living or experiencing because you care about what they're doing. So their successes become yours and, and, and all of that, right? Uh, you grieve with them when they're going through hard things. But in reality, you're not actually living through them. That's not possible. But, but this morning, uh, we're going to learn that, that in Christ, we actually do live through him. Uh, and, and that makes all the difference in the world. So let's pray together. Uh, as we start our time. Father, would you use your word to, to, to move in us, to change the way we think, to change our hearts, to change the way we live, that we would know the difference of a resurrected Christ and what, what matters in us every single day. God, you, would you speak through me in this moment? Help us to trust your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 4 through 6. We're mainly going to be in 6, but we're going to kind of build into it, verses 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace, you have been saved, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this morning, we're just looking at a couple of verses uh, in, in what I contend to be one of the great chapters of the Bible. Uh, The place where I think we see the the gospel laid out as clearly as anywhere else I can think of. You know, if somebody said, hey, would you, you know, send me somewhere that I can really know the gospel, I'd probably send them to Ephesians 2 as much as anywhere else. Um, Paul is writing a letter uh, that he intends to be circulated to several different churches, several different cities uh, in the area of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Um, And so this is just a quick reminder that, this area of the world during Paul's time was filled with different uh, religions. Ephesus, uh, as a town, was famous for its worship of the goddess Artemis. Uh, we, we talked about one of the seven wonders of the world was there, uh, the, the temple to Artemis. Uh, but there were, there were several other temples uh, to other gods as well in Ephesus, and, and there were other active cults in, in, that, in that region. Um, it was a, a place where people were, we would say, aware of and, and nervous about Spiritual powers being against them. You know, we might call it being uh, superstitious today, but everybody was worried about um, was worried about you know the 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 demon around the corner, some some evil power that might be out to get them. That that's kind of the the spiritual environment of 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 Ephesus in this time. And so so last week we started this this series on Ephesians two and 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 how the the resurrection impacts uh, our everyday lives. In, in the first three verses, we saw that we were spiritually dead, spiritually dead, physically alive, and so I just—you could call us zombies, right? You can call us the walking dead. We were we were walking around as as dead people who can do no spiritual good. There's nothing of any good that we can do as a spiritually dead person, and so we can say we're as humans, we were all humanity is, is, is are, were slaves to death. Uh, Paul tells us we were controlled by our enemies. Uh, There's three of them in this passage. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they're opposed to God. They don't do anything of God, nothing good. And and we live in that camp. We live fully in the camp of the flesh, uh, the world, and the devil. We're the bad guys in the story, okay? We need to understand that. And so God on his own initiative decided to make us spiritually alive with Christ. We did not want to be saved. We did not seek to be saved by him. But because of his love and mercy, God sent Jesus and we were made alive in Christ. And, and so, so let me just kind of re- reiter- reiterate what I said last week. Because I, I don't think that the story of Jesus is really that amazing unless we understand this as the starting point. For instance, let's say you're at, at Casey's, right? And, and you're, you decide you need a Dr. Pepper, a great Texas drink. You need a Dr. Pepper, right? And you go and you, you go to checkout and it's like 2.02 now, right? It's, it's like, it's, and, but you have two bucks. You got $2. And, you, and, you're, and, and the cashier says, ah, don't worry about it, right? They either get the little penny tray thing or they just just excuse it, right? That's a nice thing to do. You're, you're thankful for that, that two cents, but it's not like, a life-changing moment. It's not that big of a deal. But, but in this Ephesians passage, it would be more like you're dead in a ditch of thirst. You died from thirst in a ditch. And Casey himself, I don't know if there's really a Casey or not, but Casey himself goes out and finds you, right? And he drags you back into the store, and he revives you. He brings you back from the dead. He revives you right and and then he gives you a lifetime supply of Dr. Pepper as much as you could ever want and then as we'll find out kind of this week and especially next week not only that Casey's going to make you a co-owner of the store like you are now a part of the Casey's franchise you're not just receiving a Dr. Pepper he he's made you a part of the team you're in as far part of the ownership and so I, you know I would just argue that too often we take for granted what has been done for us. We, we didn't just get two pennies to go on our way. We had nothing. We were absolutely dead. And so I think if, if we didn't take all of this for granted what God has done for us, I think our lives would look more like lives of worship and, and, and praise and, and acknowledging what God has done. And that we would just overflow with that all the time. And so this morning, as I just kind of hinted at, we're gonna, we're gonna learn that God has done even more than make us alive, which is hard to imagine. But he did more than just make us alive. And we, 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 um, we celebrate that for Easter, but there's so much more. And, and that's kind of what we've been talking about, right? This this good news of the gospel, is, is this amazing reality of the resurrection is that it gets even better, right? It's kind of like the, you know, commercial or whatever, right? it, it, the, Wait, there's more, right? There, there's still more to hear about the good news. I want you to hear verse 5 again. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, so last week we saw, right, we have gone from death to life. And and, and I kind of said we could call this change, right? There is there is a God who can change dead things to living things. He can bring dead things to life. And if God can do that in our lives, what can't he do? What can't he do in our lives if he can bring something that's dead to life? But God, God uh, Paul's going to tell us even more as we move into verse six. So he, he says, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I, I, I told you last week that there's this verb that Paul just kind of makes up. He just puts a bunch of words together and, and creates his own verb here, this made us alive with, um, and, and it's amazing And it's so cool because Paul's going to actually do it two more times in verse 6. He's going to make up verbs. And those verbs we translate as raised us up with and seated us up with. So both of those are verbs that don't occur anywhere else except when Paul is talking. And then after that, then they kind of get popular in the Greek world and we start to see it. But um, this week I really want to focus on the raised us up with verb. Next week, we're going to really look at the seated us with uh, part. Because there's a concept here that really, you know, I I say is taking things to a whole nother level. Because, you know, as if it were not enough that that Jesus, God made us alive in, in Jesus, the suggestion that Paul is making here is that as Jesus rose and ascended to heaven, that statement is already true of us as well we have already been raised up we've already been raised up we have been raised up with christ but here's the problem we're still here and so that has led a whole lot of people to ask this question over history what what does this mean paul we haven't been physically raised up yet so what could you possibly be meaning here and, and last week I said we're, we're talking about spiritual realities. Remember last week we were physically alive but spiritually dead. And so God is going to make us spiritually alive. We, we learned last week we are as alive spiritually as we will ever be. Already. That's already happened because of Jesus and the resurrection. And so that means we don't have to wait until we die to know salvation. Salvation has already occurred if you were in Christ. Already happened. Already happened. And so here on, in this place, you and I are living a physical life on this, on this earth. And so we have not yet been physically raised with Jesus. But according to Paul, we are already spiritually raised. So again, recognize the, the verbing, verbiage he's using. He's making it clear that this has already happened. Spiritually, we've already been raised up and resurrected. The, for the believer, the, you know, salvation and resurrection have already taken place in a spiritual way. And so we can say, as we talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil, you know, we had a spiritual problem. We were spiritually dead. We saw all that awful stuff last week. So the, um, our solution is spiritual. Spiritual solution. And, and, and so we went from spiritual death to spiritual life. And this week, we're going to go from spiritual hopelessness to spiritual hope, to to spiritual freedom and spiritual power. So to help you understand what all this means, I'm going to start by telling you what it doesn't mean. There there are Christians who, who because of passages like this one, believe in something uh, that many call triumphalism. And the idea is this, right? Because of all that Christ has done, all our problems are gone. They're all gone. All of them. We will not experience the hardships or trials or tribulations or persecutions that other people on this, on this planet do. We're immune to those things. You know, Christians will not have financial worries ever again. We won't get sick. People won't ever mistreat us. Right? You'll even get a better parking spot because of this reality on this planet. They, they would say, we, we now have so much authority and power that we can defeat anything in our way, right? We be, we've become spiritual super, superpowers, super beings. But, but Paul is not saying any of that in terms of our physical reality. Christians will have just as many problems as as anybody else, and I would argue more than than others. We live on a cursed earth, and this will be our reality until Christ returns. But spiritually, we have already triumphed. And that is huge. That's a big deal. So there will still be problems. You're still going to get sick. You're still going to have afflictions. All of that still can be true, and us be spiritually alive and spiritually resurrected and ascended with Jesus already. This is, this is huge. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. I like that. I like that idea. I like that phrase, a living hope. And why Peter says it's because of the resurrection we have a living hope. Colossians 1.27 says this Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because we have Christ in us, there is hope of glory. So because the spiritual reality has already occurred, it impacts everything uh, that we go through in our, our physical reality. A living hope is just a great way to say it. And so let me just give you a couple of points about this living hope um, as we go through this. Living hope means death is not the end. Death is not the end. There was a a popular philosopher in ancient uh, uh, Greece. His name was Epicurus. And and interestingly, he believed that there were gods, uh, um, but, but they were so moral and they were so above us that they, they, they just didn't have anything to do. Um, there was a separation that couldn't ever be be breached. It was just forever separation. And so they didn't care about humans. And, and when we died, it was all over. This is, this is Epicurus. And, and so this makes life pointless. And his famous quote was this. I won't give it to you in Latin. I'll just give it to you in English. He says, I what." I was not, and that I was, I am not, I do not care. I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. His point is that life is finite. And there is no hope in life because there's nothing else. Because there's nothing else. When life is over, you are just done. Done. And and so this this statement by Epicurus is is world famous. And in fact, it can be found on tombstones all over the world and through thousands of years. I don't know why you'd put that on your tombstone, but they do. Because there's no point, right? Because there's no hope, it's done. So let everybody know it was over. That's a statement made by people who have no hope, right? I'm, I'm not anymore and I don't care about it. I have to tell you, a a really good friend of mine died this week, um, and and he was a sinner that was saved by grace. And, but he had a living hope, and and so you know when I was when I talked to his wife this week, I, I promise you there was nothing like the hopelessness of Epicurus. Right? We we talked of eternal life, and and we uh, we talked about a very real resurrection, and. And and the truth, as I gave you this, the Moody quote not too long ago, that he is more alive today than he's ever been. He's more alive today than he's ever been. So my my, my friend is alive right now. And I would tell Epicurus, and and we care about that. We care about his life. And more importantly than that, God cares. He's not apathetic to, to humanity. He cares. So because of that, there is hope beyond this life. Next, I would say that our, our, our hope in all of this is not in things, but in a person. Uh, you know, today our, our, our world is, is all about putting its hope in things. You, if you watch the news, right, there's been all these kinds of developments in AI, and that's going to solve pollution and crime and whatever, right? AI is, is going to solve everything. All these medical breakthroughs, it, it, it's giving us hope. Scientific breakthroughs and, the, you know, the government, if we can just get the government right, everything will be fine. You know, this is, this is a world without spiritual hope. Right? If I can just get a certain amount of money, things will be fine. If I, if I can get this law passed, everything will be okay. My problems will be fixed. If I could get rid of this physical ailment that I have, Then I can have hope. But I'll just tell you, none of that works. That's why I like to read history. They thought, they they figured it out all these different times throughout history. The Romans thought they'd figured out world peace, right? Just conquer the whole thing and there'd be peace. Guess what? It didn't work. There's there's no hope in that. There's no hope in government. There's no hope in medicine. It's not going to fix it. Our hope is in a person, not in things. In, in a resurrected Jesus, a person. And he is a person who can rescue life out of death. He is one who can save. One of the coolest movies that I've ever seen uh, is a movie called The Rescue. It's a, a National Geographic document, uh, sorry, documentary about the Thai soccer team, you know, they got stuck in that cave. I don't know if you remember that story in 2018. There's a, yeah, so that's, that's a picture. So I will tell you there are multiple versions. The best one is this one. It's the actual documentary with the actual divers and the parents, and, and it's, this is the real deal. Now, you can find it on Disney Plus, and so if you don't have Disney Plus, call your kids, your grandkids, and they'll, they'll get you logged in on it. You need to watch this movie. It's amazing. I mean, I'm just telling you, uh, uh, amazing. Has anybody seen this movie? Okay yeah we if you you gotta you just gotta see it it's so good um i'm not spoiling it because i'm not going to recommend a movie where all the kids died the kids survive (laughs) you knew that from the news already hopefully so but the amazing part of the story the part that you need to see is is how this all happened right the process of how we got there how the boys were saved these boys were feared dead they didn't, uh, they, nine days into it, people were saying, this whole cave system, right, has flooded. There's no way these kids are alive anymore. And, and there were a lot of people who said, we're going to get people killed trying to find these people who aren't alive. We should just call off the search. But, right, kind of the, but they were alive. And, and it took rescuers, they didn't find them until the 10th day in a cave. And I, I just want to show you a picture this was from the camcorder or whatever that the diver finally finds them. And, and there's 12 boys in a coach. There's 13 of all. They're alive. And they somehow found high ground and they're alive. And guess what they were doing? Nothing. They're waiting. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. They're waiting. They've been waiting 10 days without food. They are just in terrible situation. But can I just tell you, if you watch the documentary, Epicurus was wrong. These guys mattered, and they mattered a whole lot, right? The whole country comes together, and they cheer because the guy comes out of the cave and says, look, they're alive, right? And then the rest of the film is figuring out how the heck you're going to get them out of there because it was just the most incredible rescue of all time. But they mattered. They But again, they're simply stuck, and they're waiting, and they're waiting for a person. They tried all these, are these tools going to work? Nope. It's got to be somebody. Somebody's got to go get them. And these boys couldn't swim, and they couldn't dive for themselves. They were absolutely helpless. And so the rescuers had to do all of the work, and I'm not going to spoil all of that for you because I know you're going to watch it. But at the end of the movie, right, there's actual video of these helpless boys being pulled out of the water by these divers. And, and, and to me, I see it when I see this incredible thing. All I can think of is Ephesians 2. This, this being raised up, but with Christ. They couldn't do it by themselves. They weren't crawling and scrambling on their own. They are being raised up, just like us in Ephesians 2. Our, our helplessness, our hopelessness, we were pulled out in hope by somebody else. And so finally, let me just say this. A living hope means that nothing is wasted. And see, most scholars, uh, when they talk about this passage, they say it's, it's really tightly connected to Romans chapter 8 in, in that we are raised with Christ and, 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 and shares about the same hope. All right? Romans 8 is all about a living hope, not being bound by the flesh anymore, but being free in the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 says this, But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is incredible stuff. We are living because of the spirit, because of the resurrection. And Paul's going to go on to say, like we just talked about, you're going to suffer in this life. It's really bad, really, really bad, in fact, in Romans 8. And it, but he's going to say that these, these temporary things fade in light of the truth of the gospel. And, and he says at one point, and you're familiar in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All of this is acts that have happened already. And so he finishes that whole part, right? And then you know the rest in verse 31. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing is wasted because it's all working out to good for the God who's already fixed the ending, who already has accomplished the ending. So if, if we have been resurrected spiritually, and that's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, that everything in our lives is working under that ultimate truth, And we are guaranteed already that we will be physically resurrected too. Not all things are good. Please hear that. We have enemies in this world, right? The flesh, the world, and the devil. But because God loves us, he saved us, and he made us alive in Christ. And he's working all things out in this life to your good and to his glory. Nothing is wasted in our lives. Philip Yancey, who had an article this week, uh, uh, he's a famous Christian author and amazing guy. He was talking about, he's got Parkinson's, and he's in the last stages of being able to communicate through his Parkinson's, and he is saying, God hasn't wasted this. I'm I'm learning how to rejoice in those sufferings. It's a powerful article that you need to look up if if you know who Philip Yancey is. If we are in Christ, then we already have salvation in the reality of the resurrection, and because of that, we we have a living hope that cannot be taken away from us because Christ did the rescuing, not ourselves. And the Holy Spirit has sealed us and protects that rescuing; it can't be taken away. It's protected. If I'm curious, but here I would tell him: life matters. You matter. God cares. He does more than just care. He loves you and has given everything in Christ, our living hope. Let's pray. Father, we are so tempted in our our struggles in life to lose sight of what has already been accomplished for us. And in our sufferings, we feel defeated. You tell us that we will We will experience hardships. We will experience pain. All that life has to offer, we will experience in the the hard things. But spiritually, we have already conquered all of that because of Christ. We are already resurrected. We are already raised up, already saved. God, help us have that eternal perspective, recognizing that you're working in us and all these things that we go through, that we can truly have a living hope because of the person, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.